Welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About with me, Gina Tremarco. On this episode, Anthony Inarino is my guest. And we were going to talk about, we kind of talked about his newest book, The Negativity Fast. We got into that and so much more on this episode. And you can learn more about Anthony in the show notes. Enjoy the show. You're going to hit the record button? It's recording. You're professional. You know what? This show is in its sixth season. Six wow. year. Awesome. Yeah. We just started six years. So it has changed quite a bit mm-hmm. in six years. So you're solo now. I'm solo now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like Sting. You're like, why do I need these hanger ons? Like, I'm the talent, right? <laughs> exactly. It's so funny. I like collaborating with people it's my improv nature so i liked having a co-host for that purpose yeah but i've also learned that having guests fulfills that Mm -hmm. and every now and then i do a solo episode but i I don't like solo because i feel like i don't know i want the collaboration of someone else's thoughts and not just my thoughts i have maybe 5200 blog posts on sales and leadership it's a lot it's a whole lot. And I have other things I need to say now. So starting with post, post literate society, there used to be post literate society because we don't read anymore. We watch videos. We listen to podcasts. Yeah. We look at little graphics and everything has to be very short. And now we've got TikTok generation where if it's longer than eight seconds, you're bored already. This does not end well. So now I'm calling it post-literate society. We started watching television and everything was being just pumped into us. But now it's post. Like we're worse than even post-literate society. That's my opinion. Mm. And we got to start reading books and you got to actually do the work to read a book. Uh, 100%. Yeah, but if you're listening to a podcast like this, you can just... It's passive. You can just sit back, right? You don't have a role other than taking in what we're giving you, right? And now you have an audience that wants to know what Anthony has to say about everything. Yeah, I'm doing more of that now. And I I like doing that. And I'm going to pivot and do some other things. I have other things I care about. Even when I was like going through the book and I'm like, what kinds of things do I want to talk about? When I literally marked the, the brain surgery piece of it. Just because the whole sec- that section in the book, I'm like, because those are things that matter to me and those are things that matter to my audience are more about um, how do we reframe traumas so that the shit that's happened to us in the past is not affecting us today? How do we get ahead of those things? Here's another interesting conversation. I know we're kind of going wherever, but that's how you and I go, especially with my improv nature. I, I ran a women's retreat at the beginning of the year. Something really interesting happened in that retreat because there was only one black woman at that retreat and she was brave enough and vulnerable enough to put it out there that she felt the night before when we went to an improv show at my theater that she didn't feel included. She felt like people were staring at her. She wanted to get up and leave. Like she shared all these feelings and we were all just like awestruck. Yeah. Because of our own ignorance and hearing 
once she kind of caught, got a hold of her emotions and was willing to talk about it and share these things, it opened up a new door and a new lens to look at things a little bit differently and look at the negativity around what she's combating, but also gave us an opportunity because really what she said was, you as white women have the power to advocate for people who look like me. And we were all just, okay, what do you, what do we need to do? And so it just completely changed the lens, right? So to your point of what's important, right? Those are things that are more important to me now, not right. what's your conversion rate on closing. There's a whole lot of people for a whole lot of reasons that do feel like they're not included. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I did with my kids is I made sure that no one was ever excluded. Like you're, you're not allowed to exclude people. And it, it, that's just a horrible thing to do is to put somebody on the outside. And so my kids, especially my son, when he was really young, if there was somebody in like kindergarten or first grade and that person was by themselves, he would go get that person and bring them mm-hmm. in because he didn't want to see them excluded. And that was a very young time for him to be able to do that after you're supposed to keep everybody together. So I think that's the right thing to do. It doesn't matter race. It doesn't matter gender. It doesn't matter. And for my kids, it's just been that way the whole way. Like you don't exclude people. It's harming them more than I think people understand. And it starts when you're young and women are worse than men, way worse on that kind of thing. So when a man, a boy, let's say, let's go back to like high school. I got in a lot of fights. I didn't, I wasn't a good fighter, but I'm, I was willing to do it because I had to after a fight, it's over. Like you're not mad at each other anymore. After that, you will be friends probably after having that fight. Um, that happened lots of times. Women though, exclude the other person and it's psychological. It's not physical. It's just psychological. And so I saw a lot of that when my daughters were in high school. There's a lot of them that were trying to get some people pushed out of the group. And uh, it's horrifying. I I think it's terrible. And it hurts people. And uh, the research on negativity fast, when I read just how traumatic that is for young people to be pushed out, it's really bad for them. And it can cause them to have anxiety, stress, depression, eating problems and a whole bunch of things. It's really important to try to think about people that feel like they're left out, even if they're not being left out, but they could still feel it even though they're with a group of people, right? Exactly. And this was the conversation that we had. And I think this is where I I had a a visceral reaction, right? My amygdala fired up and I was like, what do you mean you weren't included? We were there as a group. We were like, I went to that instant kind of knee-jerk reaction, but I didn't verbalize it because... I'm all about giving space. That is my philosophy and mythology of like creating a safe space for people to be able to speak and say what they're thinking. But my inside voice went to that fight or flight. And then I just kind of had to sit back. And while we all perceived it differently, it didn't matter because her perception was she didn't feel included. Her perception was people were staring at her. And even another woman had said, I want to come back to this how women are, because I agree with you, 
Another woman said, they could have been looking at you because you're so beautiful. And she was genuine and authentic with that response. But in some ways, I don't know, but I can imagine it can feel a little bit patronizing that yeah. you're taking away. You're not validating that I feel like they were, she's like, I was the only black person in the room. And that's how I felt. I went to Hong Kong in 1907, right before the Chinese took Hong Kong back from Hong Kong. So I, I was there. We decided to go to Beijing. This is 1997. Everybody's wearing a Mao suit. They're riding bicycles. There's very few cars. They're burning coal all over the place. So I got home. We walked into the hotel. Uh, I blew my nose and it was black, like just completely from all of the soot. And my, my, all my clothes were covered with soot from walking through Beijing. But while we were, there were no Americans there. Like that, that there was not anyone around. We were walking through Tiananmen Square and a woman came up to my wife who's five, eight, blonde hair, thin. And these women walked up to her and said, you're ugly. You're ugly. You are an ugly person. <laughs> I was just like, what? Like, it's so weird. But she's like the only person that looks like her there. And it was odd. It was very odd to, to have somebody come up and say something like that. They had enough English to be able to do that. What's the response to something like that? Like she felt something about it. And I'm like, they're all short. They all have dark hair. They all look exactly alike. And then you look so different that they had something to say about it. It was just very odd. Well, she looked like a, she looked like an alien. Yeah, to them, yeah. To them. And there's not like, a lot of Americans there at that particular time. So, yeah. And then feeling like that's your feelings and perceptions of being in that place of not being... Where nobody looks like, like you. Yeah, where nobody... And that was the discussion we had, right? It's... Yeah. We... No, nobody looks like me. So can you help get more people who look like me in the room? so that I'm not feeling this way. And so just yeah. the validating that's where she was coming from, but it it awakened something in me to truly pay more attention to it, of who in this room looks different and could possibly not feel included. On Twitter, maybe last week, Elon Musk was complaining about DEI. And he was saying, you have to get the right people. And he's arguing with Mark Cuban. So these two guys are arguing about this. And they're still kind of arguing about it on Twitter right now. I saw something from Mark Cuban today. And I've been in staffing for 37 years. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. When my mom and her partner started the business, that was the first time I ever met an out-of-the-closet gay man. His name was Kay. Nobody had anything to say about Kay at all. Like nobody. Like it was safe. Mostly women in staffing. Fine. All the diversities that you can imagine. What what we did. And then I'm just watching these guys talk to each other or on Twitter. And I'm thinking like, 
if you have to have your board of directors make sure that you have diversity, you're in deep trouble already. Like you have a, you already have a real problem. And I've done this for so long. I remember when people would say, we want this type of person. So it would be something like, we need someone with blonde hair to be at the receptionist desk. And that was racial. When they say that, that's a racial thing that they're saying. They want somebody with blonde hair. We would refuse that every single time. Like there's no, Good for we you. don't do that. And probably we have maybe in the family business, maybe 2,500 people working and probably 70% is not Caucasian. So yeah, that, that's, it's a whole lot of people. And we have every kind of person that you can think of working and it's changed in Columbus, Ohio. I can tell you it's changed where it used to be like must speak English. Now it's like, we have so many immigrants here that there's one company that the company has that they have 34 different languages being spoken wow. on their floor right now. So everything from, let's say, Asia, Africa, South America, Central America, everywhere. And nobody says anything anymore. Like it's all now, it's all fine. Like there's nobody that's asking not to have people that speak Spanish. Instead, they're like, can you get us a Spanish supervisor so we can communicate with them? It's changed so much. Mm-hmm from earlier days where and, and yet was, there's there and yet there's still I feel like is a lot of work to be done on it. Yeah, but if the board has to bribe you with bonuses for doing that, then I think oh. you're already broken. Like you're yeah. already broken. Yeah. Like the, you should have already been hiring diversity right. because that person came in and they had the skill set and you didn't hire them, then that's a different thing altogether, I think. Yeah. So I I know this really well because I've done it since yeah. I was maybe 18 or something. Yeah, I'm, you've seen it all. Yeah, it's better now. It's gotten a lot better. There's no, nobody says anything about anything like that now. It's at least here. Yeah, Other places yeah. it might be different. But what I know is that here it's just, we're, we have a whole bunch of, we've got people from Somalia, Ghana, we've got Haitians, we've got all kinds of people working in that business. And they, all we do is get compliments. Like these people that have come in, they work like they, they need to work. Yeah. They're, they're very good workers and people like them and they have a nice community. It's, it's better than it was in the past. I can tell you that, Yeah, but there's still work to do. Yeah. Hey, listeners, just taking a quick little break, especially if you are a professional businesswoman on the brink of a new chapter, ready to reclaim your confidence and seeking sisterhood that supports, empowers, and propels you forward. Look no further. The Rockstar Collaborative is your tribe your partner, and your catalyst for transformation. Last year, I piloted this program and flexed with it until it morphed into such a transformational experience that the members asked me to keep it going. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to what some of our rock stars had to say. So some of them said the following things. 
I was inspired to join the Rockstar Collaborative with a will to better myself, to find focus in my chaotic head, to really find my voice and to figure out how to get out of my own way. Another woman said, the women in the collaborative are my newfound tribe. They are the ones that I can text or pick up the phone and call with any random question and I know that I will get an honest answer. They're going to let me fail and catch me and then help propel me forward. Another one said, if I had to describe the Rockstar Collaborative in three words, they would be empowering, embracing, and all-around badass. This is a space that I truly love to be part of, helping other women in business on more of the personal side of things that is going to have an impact on how you do business and how you do life, honestly. So are you ready to be part of a bigger community? Won't you join us? Come and unlock your brilliance and discover the power of sisterhood and collaboration at the Rockstar Collaborative, where women come together to support, uplift, and empower each other. Our community is a blend of diverse, high-performing individuals who share a common goal, personal and professional growth. You know, it's hard to have it all, but you can learn how to have some kind of blend of all of it. The next six months program is starting soon. Enrollment is now open and limited to only 12 rock stars. So if you're ready to shine bright, foster your confidence, reinvent yourself and make a positive impact on other women, don't miss this chance. Visit womenyourmotherwarnedyouabout.com and look for the Rockstar Collaborative tab under the tab for helping women. Rock on. I'm often, sometimes, often or sometimes surprised by just certain reactions to, to how people do things in acquiring talent. And I'm also continuing to get educated. I had someone on the show a a couple months ago who talks about immigrants and leadership and how there is a bias towards it that she's told some story, great stories around uh, executives who didn't want to interview someone because they couldn't understand their accent or people getting removed from the resume pile because of their name on the resume. And, And those things are still happening. Or who do you prefer to work with in, in training? Do you want to work with a female or do you want to work with a male? Like that's that can continue to proliferate that attitude and that approach to it. Like, you know, what I, I did this once with a client who wanted Jeb to speak mm-hmm. at an event. And we know how Jeb, how busy Jeb is. And I'm like, if you couldn't have Jeb, what type of speaker would you want? Like, what would that look like? Like, describe. Like, I, I didn't want to lead it with. Now, I did eventually get down to that because I felt like culturally it could have been an issue between a male and a female because it was a different culture, a different country, and it could have been an issue. But I waited to open that door. I first wanted the client to talk about the style that they were looking for. And I said, if you couldn't have Jeb, would you be open to someone else? Well, yeah, we would. We'd want to know who it is. And I'm like, well, what is it that you like about Jeb? Well, that he's he's direct. He's to the point. He went through all those things. And I said, okay, so if we had another trainer that was like, and I waited a while before I asked that question, because, but I thought in that situation, it was an important question to ask. And I was so happy to hear he's like, it doesn't matter. 
And that's good. Yeah. I, part of me felt bad to to make an assumption that maybe it would be a problem. But I also wanted to be culturally sensitive that it could be a problem. And so how do you walk that tightrope? I've had a number of clients that have had a whole bunch of us. And I, a couple of years ago, I said, I'm only going to introduce you to uh, a woman. Like you have no women speakers. You've had a whole bunch of us there. I'm going to give you an introduction and I'm really going to suggest that you actually just hire this person to do this. Like you need to, you need to bring a woman in and, and let them have the stage. And, and they did that and they loved it. And they were like, that was great. That was a very good. Yeah. Cause I'm like, everybody looks like me. Well, I'm happy you bring that up because that is something that I'm really pivoting and doubling down on of is having that conversation. Just like the, my black friend who said, can you white women advocate? And at the same time, us white women are saying to the white men, can you advocate for us white women and bring us along or for all women? Let's just leave it at that. It doesn't have to be white women. But how do we continue to lift each other up? And, and we continue to see this, especially as speakers. There have been a couple NSA events where you see the promotional ad and like everybody in the ad is a white man. And you're like, could we mix it up just a little bit? It's like, how do we? They're do pretty we... diverse. There's a, there's more. You might not have seen a good picture, but there's a lot. I've been to a couple of their things. They've had a lot of diversity. They have a lot of women there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm talking more like more localized, oh, more, yeah. re, more regional, not on the national perspective. So it's just how do we continue to advocate and pull people up? There's a lot of people who have been doing this for a long time. There's a whole bunch of men that had decided that they're not going to speak if there's not women and uh, diversity on the stage. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's been going on for a long time now. We'll keep doing that. We appreciate it. Yeah. You don't need the same thing over and over again anyway. You need other perspectives. Yeah. 100%. Some, someone else who makes you think a little bit differently. Yeah. There's a lot of good speakers of all kinds of different people. Even have the, having different people on the show that have different viewpoints. Again, I go back to the woman, her name is Yukemi, who, who talks about being an immigrant and coming to this country and getting her MBA, becoming a lawyer. She's a practicing attorney now. But now she really advocates for how, how do we promote, how do we promote immigrants and she talks about their grit and their resilience because how do we promote them and not dismiss them or have an unconscious bias about them and that it's really interesting again i like having these conversations that open my eyes to make me a better person so that i can help the world be a better place i don't there were a time there was a time when i would say well i'm ignorant to that teach me. And this black woman in particular, who we're, we're really good friends now, I had asked her this a couple years ago because I got some pushback about some of our postings for our, our improv theater. And someone had commented, look at all the white people. Where are the black people? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to get them. I don't know how to attract them. Like it's kind, of, it's a form of ignorance. And now my, what I say is. Well, my, my brother's a comedian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's I don't think I going that. to Japan right now to do comedy there for a couple of days. Then he's going to go to Thailand and then he's going somewhere else on the way back. Oh, that's I don't know. Awesome. He's got a, a whole bunch of things he's got to do. What they did 
was they started doing training things like where you can come in and learn how to do improv. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's how they got some of the diversity. That's how they got more women in their improv group. And it's how they got more diversity in there. It's just bringing them in and then. Yeah. We're, we've been doing classes for 16 years. Yeah. 16 years. And that's where we start because we turn them into, we turn students into performers. Right. And the struggle is at the class level of getting the diversity. And that was my, and I was part of a diversity council locally. And that was the question I asked. And I got, I kind of got crickets, like nobody answered me. And so then when I went to my friend and and told her this, she said, you didn't get answers because they didn't have answers. Mm. They don't know how to tell you it because they, we've been struggling with this for a long time. So that was an eye opener. So I think the point is it takes more thoughtfulness. Now, maybe your brother had a little more success. I don't know. Where does he live? Columbus, Ohio. Okay. So you might, I don't want to necessarily compare, but I I live in the South. So it's been a challenge trying to like, you have to, but you have to like think deeper. Like, how do I go out there and actively recruit is really what needs to happen. So I need to actively recruit. I can't just say we're open to it. I can't just open the doors and say, and hope that they're going to sign up. I have to go find them. Right. That's right. When I was in law school, the law school had a really tough time getting African-Americans into law school. And they worked really hard to go and recruit people that were going to maybe be a doctor or something else. And they went out and tried to find the people and brought them in, which was the right thing for them to do. And if they hadn't have done it proactively like that, it wouldn't have happened. And they actually had to work really hard to go do that. And they did that. They went into the community and they found people who were interested and they brought them in. And that's what they had to do to be able to do it. It wasn't easy. That's the point. It's not easy. And you have to be willing to do the lift if you're going to be part of the change and can't just sit back and say, we're open to it, which is what I used to do. No, you gotta, you gotta go bring them in. Exactly. I want to shift a little bit to, there's so much in your book that can be talked about. We could probably schedule 10 more of these. I want to talk a little bit. We we talked a second about political. I want to talk about all the social media negativity and how to avoid that. And let me put a little more context behind it because I've been doing a lot of kind of my passion is is helping lifting women up. And one thing that comes up so much is imposter syndrome and confidence issues. And I just did a talk on this yesterday of can you they're like talk around how, you know, People should not, women should not be so obsessed with what's happening on Facebook when they see, you know, that Susie's having the best life ever. And the difference between, well, I'll I'll make that a separate question, the difference between positive and negative on social media. Let's talk a little bit about that and your perspective of. My, My perspective is informed that the Joneses are miserable. They're miserable. They're miserable with each other. They're miserable having to uh, stage their house to take pictures. 
and uh, they have to show up and uh, look a certain way. It's got to be absolutely just so much time and energy and something that is just so shallow. Like there's nothing there. It is. Uh, I think that's what people need to know. And I will tell you that there is something that's true about the difference between men and and women believe that they're not as competent as they should be. Men are overconfident <laughs> by don't, don't, don't do that. Like smiling and then nodding like that. Yeah. We know, uh, some of us know anyway, like we're overconfident and you're underconfident and that's not right. I have a sales force that's a hundred percent women. It has been for as long as I've been doing it. It's all women. They're great. They win at 85%. That's a, a crazy win rate. And I don't know that a man's going to do better than they are, but they'll be more confident what they're doing, even though they are not as good as what I've got. And it's, I just think all these women that feel that way, they have the right to feel that way, but it's not true. You're every bit as competent. You're every, probably better in many ways, especially in leadership, because you're more interested in relationships yeah. than things. So good salespeople, and I am one, I'm in, I'm interested in relationships. That That's the thing that I'm not trying to win the deal. I'm trying to win the relationship because if I get the relationship, then I have something that's a strategic advantage. Like it's very hard to take somebody away and replace them when you have a relationship that's been seven years of working yeah. together. Yeah. So those are the things women are way better at those sort of things on, on a generality. So if, when we say generally, it's true. It's not true for everybody, but for the most part it is. And I think that my girls, I've got twin daughters. They're 24 on the 25th. So they're right around the corner here. Both of them are incredibly competent and confident. They're very confident in who they are. The little one is like a really a tough kid. Like she's going to get everything that she wants in life because she is, it's just who she is. She wants things. She's like her dad, which is not always a, a positive thing. She's also not conflict averse, but she's good with people. She's charming. Took me till 17 to make her charming. <laughs> Normally it was just like, I'm going to fight everybody. And I'm like, no, you might have to at some point, but maybe start with seeing if you can charm them. And then she got really charming and it works very well for her. So she just needed some better strategies, but they're both, they both are competent and confident. And then part of that is probably because they grew up with me. Well, I was just going to go down that path because I've done a lot of research on confidence and imposter syndrome. I've created a course selling with confidence based on that because I'm really fascinated with that. I'd love your take on, and I think I came out of my mother's womb pretty confident. And so that's why people have always approached me with where did it come from? And I think a lot of it did have to do with how I was raised and my dad, and I was a daddy's girl, but my dad was tough. Mm -hmm. But his impact on me definitely affected my confidence. Why do you think women are less confident and men are overconfident. I think that this is something that just 
it's been that way for so long that men have had so much of a, a dominant role, uh, especially in business. But I grew up with a single mom who grew up under a single mom. I had a father who left when I was six and he had a single mom, never married to his dad. And so I know, I think a lot of this is for a long time, business was men for a very long time. Yeah, like I keep go, forgetting that. Yeah. For a long time, it's been that way until we had birth control and things like that. When we didn't have those sort of things, it's harder for women. It, it's hard for women when they have kids too. So it's hard. And I think that's part of this is that you have another role, even if you're working in business, you have another role when you get home as a woman that a man doesn't necessarily have. And I think that's part of it. It's just been this way for so long, but it, it's changed. I can just tell you when my mom and her business partner decided to start a business, I was probably teen. So that's like five years ago, something right <laughs> around there. They went to the bank and they asked to get a loan <clears throat> to start their business. And the banker said, if you can bring one of your husbands to co-sign, we can give you a loan. Well, there's two women. They got six kids between them and no money and no husbands. They bought two $25 desks, pushed them together in a tiny little office, and they bootstrapped. It's a $50 million company now. Wow. It's a $50 million company, always dominated by women. The CEO's a woman. My mom's a woman. We've got a whole bunch of people. All, almost all the managers are female. I think we have one male manager total. And not because of anything other than he's doing a good job, but mostly it's all women running all of our branches. And it's been that way for a long time. But I, I do think that some of this is just societal again. It's things have been this way for a long time and it's changed. And some people, when it changed, weren't happy that that women were in now in leadership roles. I just grew up in a place where there were always female leaders, some male leaders, different people. Lots of diversity. And I'm, it's, that's why when I was watching this th interaction on Twitter, I was sort of amused to like, you guys are having this conversation in 2024. <laughs> this is a long time that you start yeah. talking about diversity. Like it's been going on now for a very long time. You guys are just catching up to this. Where have you we, been? We have every kind of person you can think of working for us. And, and why wouldn't you? I don't know. People are just not tapped in enough, I guess. Women, or, if I could say one thing to women, you should not have imposter syndrome at all. And the reason that you don't understand that men have that same imposter syndrome is because they put on this face that makes it look like they're more confident than they are. And I can tell you that for certain. I can tell you that for certain. I know that's how men work because I am one and I got a lot of friends. So I know <laughs> some of it is them putting a brave face on, even though they don't think that they have the competence that they would want to have. Yeah, but I, it, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Like I struggle with, no, nah, I don't struggle with understanding it. I understand how women can have it and some men can have it. Jeff Bajorg and I have talked about this as well. 
it's just a matter of, in my opinion, recognizing it and then attacking it and getting past it and realizing that you are competent because confidence comes from the competence. And once you can start- And vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They they feed each other. Right. And you have to- Practice the wins and practice the gratitude and look at what went wrong, but what did you win from it? Now, being an improviser, being a trained improviser for the stage, we actually, and I've been talking about this for the past year as part of the book I'm writing right now, we like failing on stage because what's happened is we've rewired our brains from failure. Like when we fail, the audience laughs. Because they're laughing for a couple of reasons. They're like, oh, thank God that's not me up there. Oh my gosh, that's so funny that they seem inept. And they laugh. And so when we're complete failures on stage, we're rewarded for it. And so that's completely rewired my brain. And I didn't realize it for 30 years. That's what was happening. I think through that training, that's where a lot of the confidence came from because I'm like, Nothing bad's going to happen to me by making a mistake on stage. I'm actually going to get rewarded for it. So now let me go out of my way to make a mistake. You have to have that freedom as a performer, like whether it's a keynote, whether you're sitting across from clients, like you just, you have to have the ability to try things and and have the courage to try things, I think. And 100%. Failing is just part of the, what, it's part of the success journey. Like exactly. that's it. So you don't think about it that way. I, in the book I, I wrote about like, it's either a loss or it's a lesson and, mm-hmm. and you have to pick one of those. Like, wh- which do you want to do? You want to take the lesson out or do you want to believe that you lost something yeah. and you couldn't have lost anything? Yeah. Everything is a lesson to me. Everything. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's where the positivity kicks in i know we're i got seven minutes left i know and i, I got a just, do you have a call after this too i do too so i'm just gonna have to schedule more time with you because i could talk to you forever on these life societal things if you're good with that yeah i think i'm happy you always get to go talk to you i love it likewise well i'll schedule some more time with you because i'd like to go have these more societal conversations and hear about that youtube show you're going to create for those listening, we will put this in the show notes. You do need to get Anthony's new book. You want to do a little plug on that? Yeah, the negativity fast. So I was really angry at one point in my life and I decided that I was going to get rid of all of my negativity and I was going to do it for 30 days and I did it for 30 days and then I liked it so much I did it another 30 days. And then I, on the third time I did it, all straight in a row, I realized I wasn't taking in anything positive. So I got rid of the negativity. And then the third time through, I decided I was only going to start listening to Ziegler, Stephen Covey, like Anthony Robbins, anybody who was like positive and future oriented. I'd only listened to that. And I got rid of media. Like I haven't watched television news for decades and people are like how do you know what's going on all the negative people tell me they they all tell me like what's going on they're they're negative and they want me to hear be negative with them but i gave it up and sometimes my wife is mad at me she's like did you see that story and i'm like 
I didn't see it because I'm not looking for it. I don't want the negativity. The cable news channels will just feed you fear and make you think that yeah. the people around you are your enemies. And I just, I will not take any of that in. It's poison. And I don't want to digest poison on a daily basis. It's, I don't think it's a good thing. I'll read The Economist because they're not trying to divide America like all the media companies here are trying to do that. And it's not very good for us. So you didn't read the political part, but I'll give you the gist of it. Just be post-political, like just be past it. Your life is 4,108 weeks in, if, on average. If you want to have a really good time, like just drop all that stuff and just focus on the things that you care about and don't spend a whole bunch of time on things that you can't do anything about. And just be post-political. Vote, maybe before November, like read some things, decide who you want to vote for, what things that you need to do. And then after that, make your vote and leave it alone for a couple more years, right? Yeah, yeah. It's easy. Excellent point. Well, thank you as always. It is always a great conversation with you. For our listeners, thanks for listening. We will put in the show notes a link to the Negativity Fast so you can pick up a copy of that. And At 50% off until January 31st. So it's a $28 book or you can give her 14 bucks. There you go. Where should they go for that? Should they go to your site or to Amazon? A Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Each one of them did that. We were like one of the top 30 books for 2024 for business people. And so that's what, that's Fantastic. how we got that. Awesome. Yeah. And well, we have Audible you. finally. Oh, I, I'm li I've got it on Audible and I've got it on Kindle. Oh, thank you. Now I need a, an autographed hard copy. Send me your address. It'll be on its way. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Good and let's do it again. Okay. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About with me, Gina Tremarco. For more information about the show, go check out womenyourmotherwarnedyouabout.com, which includes all of the links to our social media, including YouTube, where you can actually watch the show. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.